This morning's text comes from Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt, tied at a door outside in the street, and untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? And they said to them that, or they said to him what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut off from the fields. And those who went before and those following were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, He went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jacob. As I said at the very beginning of the service, I miss you all so terribly. I miss being with you. I miss the hugs and the high fives and and, uh, having lunch together. Um, I think during this season of social distancing, I think it is helping us feel how important community really is. We miss being together. It's, it's hard to stay away, to not fellowship in one another's homes, to not worship together, especially on days like today when we celebrate Palm Sunday, when we celebrate Jesus as King and learn from King Jesus how his kingdom is radically different than the world. And here's the deal. God never meant for you or I to apply his teachings alone by ourselves. He never intended for us to just apply them to our individual lives. God never meant for his kingdom values to be lived out individually, but rather together as a united people. And social distancing is difficult because it's supposed to be. God created us for community. King Jesus says that you are a city on a hill. One person is not a city. Jesus is saying that I came to establish a community, a new city, a distinct group of people, and your purpose is to live out my kingdom values in community to show the world the beauty of being a part of the people of God. St. Augustine said that there is the city of God and the city of man. Jesus calls us to be God's new city within San Diego County. 
to be an alternative community, to be a counterculture, to be a city set on a hill that lives in a radically different way that demonstrates to the world what it means to live in the light of God's truth and grace. And this happens in diverse community, not individually. Today for Palm Sunday, I want to illustrate how different it is. The, the, the passage that we just read, that the basis for Palm Sunday shows us how uh, the idea or, or the value of greatness in the kingdom of God is radically different than the world's idea of greatness. In the city of, of man, we usually think of a, of a great military leader or a great businessman or, or a great politician or a great athlete or a great entertainer. Those are the people that the world celebrates. Those are the people that the world values. Those are the people that the world honors. And so we get their autograph. They write their name on a piece of paper or a hat or something. We take it home, cherish it, show our friends, and we think it's so great. But it's also kind of weird. In our text, we see a radically different picture of greatness. We see Lord Almighty riding on a donkey. Every year we go to Palm Sunday and we read this passage about our Lord on a donkey and every year it's just bizarre. It's a bizarre picture on its own because we need to have a fuller understanding of what true greatness is. So if you are taking notes, our first main point is this. True greatness requires majesty. The central figure on Palm Sunday is the king on a donkey. Now, this is brilliant. Jesus is deliberately making a statement here. And Jesus' greatness is seen in the fact that Jesus comes to us as the true king. That's your first sub-point there. Jesus comes to us as our true king, the true king. And so what's the deal with the donkey. I mean, it's kind of embarrassing. And so it makes you wonder that, that maybe this is about humility. And I would say, yes, that's partly it. But it's so much more than that. We got to see this donkey within the big picture. Now, here's what I want you to, uh, what we need to remember. All of us need to remember. With all the books of the Bible, all of them together create one story. The Bible is one story, and it's in this story of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, it's within that story that you find your story. It's where you find your identity. You need to understand that the story you read in the scriptures, you are part of that same story right now. I'm wondering if you ever think about that that you're part of the same story that we read in the scriptures. And go to the beginning of your story. At the beginning of your story, Adam and Eve have greatness. Our first parents have greatness. They're living with God. 
and they share in God's greatness. But they want their own greatness, and so they rebel and they lose all greatness for all humanity. Now, have you ever wondered why you long for greatness? Why you want greatness either in the eyes of the world or the eyes of your peers, or maybe you say, I don't care what else anybody else thinks about you, uh, about me. You say, maybe I just want greatness in my own eyes. I want to feel good about myself. Why do we want that? Well, if, I mean, if, if we're supposed to be nothing but a, a pile of evolved gunk, why would we long for greatness at all? And the scriptures have the only answer I've ever seen. We were created. We were created with greatness, but we lost it. And so we long to get it back, but we can't. After the great fall of humankind in Genesis 3.15, God promises to send someone who will deliver us from sin, deliver us from death, and restore us to greatness with God. And the Old Testament is filled with promises and previews of, of, the, of this promised deliverer who will defeat the enemy, who will deliver God's people from bondage and oppression, who will restore us to the presence of God and his greatness. And people like Moses, Moses and Joshua and Deborah and Gideon and Samson and David, they all point to the Messiah who is to come. And in the Old Testament, the prophet Zechariah foretells our Messiah's arrival. In chapter 9, we read that the Messiah will put an end to war. He will proclaim peace to the nations. He will set his people free. Uh, he will restore us to greatness. And, and he tells us how to recognize this great Messiah who will do all of this for us. And he writes, Zechariah, Zechariah writes this. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly, and riding on a donkey. And on Palm Sunday, Jesus fulfills this promise made way back then in the Old Testament. Jesus, right here, is recognized as king and the fulfillment of this prophecy that God makes good on his promise to send the deliverer. Now, in our scene in the text that we read, the, uh, the, the crowd is following him because they understand that they, they've seen his miracles or they heard about his miracles, like raising Lazarus from the dead, and, and they're marching with Jesus to Jerusalem, and they're spreading out their cloaks and, and, and branches on the road before him. And then, then a huge crowd that was already in Jerusalem for the Passover hears about this, and then they go out to meet him. And as the two crowds combined, they just explode into celebration. And, and they, they're, they're shouting and singing the words of Psalm 118. Hosanna, which means save or save now. They're referring to this promised deliverance. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed 
is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. So what, what this crowd is doing is they are proclaiming Jesus as the promised messianic king who's come to save their people from their oppressors, the Roman occupying forces. That's what they thought he was going to do. They had their own understanding of what the Messiah was all about. So Jesus rides in, um, showing us that he's come to us as king. And then your second sub-point is this. Jesus comes to us as Lord of all. Jesus sends the disciples to commandeer his ride. Now imagine somebody walking up to your car in the grocery store parking lot, starting it up and driving away. And you're standing right there. That actually happened to me the other day at Major Market. And then I realized that it was not my car. It just looked exactly like my car. And I was like, what are you doing with my car? And these people are saying, what are you doing with my donkey? And the disciples say, the Lord has need of it. And they say, oh, okay. They, they recognize that he has a claim on everything, that he is Lord. And the scriptures promise that the Messiah is the Lord. John the Baptist, quoting Isaiah the prophet, proclaims, prepare the way of the Lord. You know, we were, we were so desperate, we couldn't do anything about it. Only God can save. Only the Lord can do that. And, and the promises are, are so great that only God can fulfill them. Zechariah goes on to say in chapter 12, on that day, the Lord will shield those who live in Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them will be like David and the house of David will be like God. In the day of God's salvation, he's saying, the weakest of us will be like David. And what will, be the, what will the king be like? He will be God himself. God came to earth in Bethlehem, lying in a manger. God entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey. True greatness is marked by true majesty. Our second point. True greatness requires humility. True greatness requires humility. Jesus enters Jerusalem as this triumphant king, not on a war horse, but on a donkey. And a donkey is, is a humble animal, right? To insult somebody, you could call them a donkey or the other name for a donkey. Why did Jesus come to us in humility like this? Well, because Jesus came to us to die for us. That's your subpoint for this one. Jesus came to us to die for us. 
You know, we read in the Gospels that Jesus wept over Jerusalem because his people rejected him. They, they rejected the Lord of the covenant. And the covenant calls for judgment if we break it. But instead, God himself comes to us not to bring judgment, but to bear judgment for us. Again, Zechariah said, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the water pit. So Jesus shows up to enforce the blood of the covenant by taking our judgment upon himself. He shed his blood, and by his blood, you are redeemed, you are delivered. You are saved from judgment and given life with God and restored to greatness with God. Jesus entered Jerusalem in humility. But after spending all this time with Jesus, three years, and Jesus constantly discipling them. And there was never a better discipler than Jesus. And after all this time of Jesus teaching them, there was never a better teacher than Jesus. The disciples still didn't get it. And I'm pretty sure I know that I wouldn't either. There's so many examples that display how they did not get it. Uh, Jesus had just told his disciples that he was go going to Jerusalem to die. And the next thing we read is the disciples arguing about being the greatest in the kingdom of God. So Jesus calls a little kid over and says, whoever humbles himself like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. And then when the disciples see a man driving out demons in Jesus' name, they rebuke him because he's not one of them. They were jealous. And when some parents were bringing little children to Jesus, the disciples rebuked them too. Jesus is too busy for these little brats. This is right after Jesus told them to humble themselves like a child. And so he says, let the little children come unto me, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And immediately after that, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and when he's unwilling to give up his riches to follow Jesus, Jesus says, it is hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of God and the disciples are shocked. If, if it's hard for the rich to get in, then, then who can? I mean, aren't the rich the great people that, that we should all be like and emulate? And Peter catches on and tries to get some extra credit. He says, Lord, I left everything to follow you. The rich young ruler wouldn't, but I did. And Jesus basically says, it doesn't work like that, Peter. It is not a competition. And he goes on to teach them that the first will be last, and the last shall be first. And Mark 10, again, Jesus predicts his death. Immediately after that, James and John come to him and say, let one of us sit on your right hand and the other on your left uh, in glory. And then when the other disciples hear about this, they get annoyed. I mean, they wanted to be the greatest. It's not fair. And so they're just kind of 
bickering and arguing over being the greatest all over again. And so Jesus teaches them, whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. And when a blind man named Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was walking by, uh, he, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then the disciples rebuked him too and, and tell him to just keep his mouth shut. Uh, to them, this guy's the opposite of great. He doesn't count. But the Lord, King Jesus, Stops and heals him. Luke tells us at the Last Supper, Jesus speaks of his death. And again, an argument breaks out over who's the greatest. I mean, after all of these examples, one after another, back to back, I mean, can, can you believe that they just still didn't get it? I think if we are open and honest about the condition of our own hearts, we could see that we do understand why they struggle with this, because so do we. We get jealous when others succeed, or we feel hurt when we don't get the recognition that we think we should get, or we play the comparison game. I mean, we can understand the struggle of these disciples if we just take a minute to think about it and evaluate our own hearts. So they're going to Jerusalem. They hear the people shouting and thinking, this is awesome. They see that, that all of these people see that he is the Messiah. We're finally going to triumph. We're going to sit on his right hand and left. It's happening. Push the kids out of the way. Tell blind Bartimaeus to stop yelling. And it's just all so wrong and upside down and messed up because they still... Don't get it. And here's why. And here's why we often don't get it. They didn't understand the cross. They didn't see the value of the cross. They didn't understand the necessity of the cross. They didn't see what the cross accomplishes. The way the kingdom is established and built is not by Jesus riding in on a war horse. It is not by Jesus calling down 12 legions of angels to wipe out the Roman Empire. It is by Jesus showing the love of God by giving his life as a ransom for many. They weren't looking for that, and so often we don't either. The disciples were thinking politically, not spiritually. It's city of man thinking instead of city of God thinking. Jesus shows up to pay the price for our sin, defeat the enemy, deliver us from sin and death, and to restore us to fellowship with God. And I think it's especially important to remember, I mean, especially during an election year, to remember that Jesus did not say, you are great Americans or, or great Republicans or great Democrats. No, what he said was, 
You are a city set on a hill. That is your identity. And it looks different living that out. It looks different than the way everybody else lives it out. What's it look like for us as a church together to live as the city of God in San Diego? I'm telling you, it looks completely different than if we live as the city of man. In, in America, especially during election year, city of man thinking often looks primarily to politics to make a difference. City of God thinking primarily looks to the gospel and God's kingdom. Now, please don't put words in my mouth. Don't misunderstand me. Civic engagement can be a good and useful and responsible to advance God's goodness and grace in the world. But just remember that we have this inclination to make good things into God things. Uh, to have a functional faith, maybe a, a theoretical faith in Jesus and the gospel and a functional faith in something else that is good. And then it just all blows up and backfires and we end up being a horrible witness to a world who needs the love, truth, grace of God. Being God's new city means that together we live out a totally old, Alternative approach to greatness. For example, we will not be impressed by riches. We will not be impressed by power. We will not be impressed by the majority. We will be impressed by people the majority says don't count. Children, poor Handicapped, refugees, elderly, homeless. And we will value them. If we're living in the city of God, we will value them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And we have much to learn from them. And if we're living as the city of God, we'll be willing to serve others in lowly ways and unseen ways. And so many of you, I'm so encouraged by so many of you because so many of you are already doing that. I mean, many of you served, just this last weekend, many of you served over 300 families by providing them with food. You blessed them. You shared God's mercy, his provision and grace with them. And that's, that's just one example. I want you to know there are countless ways that you can serve others, and you do. So I want to encourage you to keep it up. And if we're living as the city of God, we will enthusiastically worship this king who rode in on a donkey. And we will join the children by singing Hosanna because greatness in God's new city is Jesus. He is the hero of the story. And, and we praise him for being our true king. 
And the only way to be God's new city here in San Diego is to understand the cross, to value the cross, to to cherish what it accomplishes. But we miss it or forget it so easily because of two things. One is pride. We think that we've got things figured out and maybe everybody else should be as enlightened as we are. Other people should be like us because we are so exceptional. We belong at the center stage to run things. We deserve the spotlight and the applause and and the glory. So there's pride that we just totally miss the cross. And the other is insecurity. We're desperately trying to convince ourselves that and others that we're not losers. Trying, we're striving to be someone of significance. So it's pride and security that cause us to miss the value of the cross, the significance of the cross. Which one is it for you? Is it pride or is it insecurity that usually gets you? Or maybe like me, you manage to have a combination of both. Or maybe you are defensive and reject that you are either one. And that's just denial. See, only the cross can save you. The the cross replaces pride with humility because the cross says, this is what God thinks about your greatness. You are so helpless Nothing less than the death of God the Son could save you. And the cross replaces insecurity with, I think, majestic confidence because the cross says, this is how much God loves you. He gave his life for you. Now you have true and infinite greatness in Christ. You know, that's why we worship Jesus in songs like, We're singing this morning. This morning we sang, all praise to him whose love is seen. In Christ the Son, the servant king, who left behind his glorious throne to pay the ransom for his own. All praise to him who humbly came to bear our sorrow, sin, and shame, who lived to die, who died to rise. The all-sufficient sacrifice. Man, especially times like these that we need to be worshiping King Jesus. I want to close um, by encouraging you with this. When When you are tempted to think of greatness like those in the city of men, remember the cross. It will turn your thinking about greatness upside down. Because if you get the cross, the cross says the way to find your life is to lose it. The way to be first is to be last. The way up is down. The greatest of all is the servant of all. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me?